Have you ever heard the expression, that person's on my radar? It's a person you notice. It's someone who you feel is important to you. They might be a thought leader in a subject you're passionate about. They might be there to help you get to where you want to go. Someone you want to keep an eye on. Well, my next guest is someone who's been on my radar for years. Self-made, a trailblazer, subject matter expert, and when she delivers a keynote or appears on television or a podcast, She's not only engaging, she's enlightening. She provides insights and content that matters. We are clearly in a state of information warfare. A lot of issues with misinformation and disinformation. We know that about one in two employees is going to continue to work remotely in the future. Um, of course, many of them do want to go back to an office environment. So what would you say to those Canadians right now who are watching this, who are wondering, you know, do I fight back on social media against this misinformation or disinformation? What can we do in schools? What can the federal government do? What would you say to those people who truly feel helpless? Her name's Amber Dawn MacArthur, but you'd know her as Amber Mack. TV and netcasting personality. She's hosted several TV shows. People on her stage that she's interviewed include Justin Trudeau, the former FBI director, James Comey, business coach, Tony Robbins, and so many more. Successful entrepreneur, best-selling author. She's a role model for women-led enterprise, one of Bay Street's Women of the Year, and you're in for a treat. As we come out of this pandemic, this, this sense of abnormality, the inflation and hybrid workplaces and technology and political and climate and societal change, here's someone that can provide some insights and might even give you some great answers. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Amber Mack, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thanks so much for having me on the show. So Amber, I want to begin by just, as I know you and I've read about you, you're family first, but you're also a best-selling author, sought-after speaker, TV personality, role model, visionary. Is there anything else I've left out? <laughs> well, thank you for all of those. Uh, I could say the same about you. I, I, I don't think there's anything that you've really left out uh, on that front. You know, one of the things I've always tried to do in my career, and I think many entrepreneurs will understand this, is to have range in terms of what I do. And so I've always dabbled in a bunch of different things just in case one of them didn't go all that well. <laughs> so, But how do you manage to do it all? I'm always fascinated with people that are doing so many different things, in your case, so well. But when I led I said family first how do you find that work life balance or does it is it even possible to exist in your world I think it's really tough to have that work-life balance in some ways. I mean, I, I think it's something that I struggle with as a, a mom and entrepreneur, and I have struggled with over the years. And I think there's really two things that I think about when you ask me this question. One is that I don't have a fallback plan. So I don't come from a wealthy or connected family. And so this is kind of my one shot in the words of Eminem. And then the, the second thing that I, I think about all the time is that one of the nice things about creating a career that allows you to have a range is that if you can do something where um, there's a lot of connection between the different things that you do, uh, that can be hugely beneficial. And for me, the connection there is demystifying technology and the fast paced world that we live in. So I don't really care if I do that through books or podcasts or on live TV or in tape video or in keynotes. I'm really kind of doing the same thing, except I'm delivering it in different ways. Having that essence or that intent, your case demystifying technology, 
technology. Did you ever realize going into it just how rich that vein would be to mine? Because, I mean, technology is coming faster and more furious than I think anybody ever imagined. You know, I think one of the things that I've been good at over the years is recognizing opportunities um, and seeing those opportunities. And again, sometimes it's out of desperation that uh, I I get to that point where I want to see a path forward. And uh, I definitely had moments throughout my career where I understood that the internet was going to have a huge impact on the way that we work. In the late 1990s, I moved out to San Francisco and worked during the dot-com boom. And for me, I was just immersed in this world where all of a sudden I saw and worked with creative people who wanted to change the world through technology. And so that really allowed me to have a a bit of a window into what was about to happen. And I really was at at there, you know, during kind of the early days of this change. When did you decide that instead of maybe being the one that's going to be part of the inventing the new world, you were going to be the Sherpa or the Yoda that help people find their way through it? Well, one of the things that I I always wanted to do, I always wanted to be a a journalist or a reporter or a news anchor. I I did a post-grad in journalism and I really love this idea that I could be sharing stories with the world. And that really has always been my true passion. I wrote for my high school newspaper. I was on my college uh, newspaper editorial team. And so what ended up happening when I went to San Francisco is that even though I worked within the technology industry as someone on a tech team, I always knew that I wanted to find a path back to being someone who was able to tell stories and report on what was happening. And so for me, once I moved back to Toronto, I really recognized that there was a void in terms of how people were reporting on the changes that were taking place with the evolution of the internet. And so I was able to really marry these two interests together and create a path forward. Now, I've been attached to media, nowhere near as in-depth, but I find that a lot of times the words that the people say on television are written for them. You are coming in with and instead saying, no, I want to provide some thought leadership. I really want to create a compass for people. How did you find a way to ensure that you had your point of view versus just being someone that's sort of delivering someone else's? Uh, Tony, you're always so good at trying to figure things out and and kind of you you hit the nail on the head here. I I think I was sort of a a puzzle piece in the world of reporting that didn't quite fit. (laughs) And uh, I saw that very clearly in my early days at City TV, where I was one of their new media specialists or a tech reporter. And so you're right, I did love this idea where I could share my thoughts on the future and what was taking place, but there really wasn't an environment where you could do that. And that's one of the things that I totally understood, but also found frustrating about the media world. I had a voice and I wasn't really allowed to have my voice heard in that environment. And so soon after I worked in these roles as a reporter and host, I started my own business to create content that would allow me to really demystify technology in a way that I could use my voice, but also make a living and build a business. Did you find that part of that block or barrier was because you were a woman? Or was it just something that regardless of what gender you were, the concept of investigative journalism was disappearing. It was much more about, you know, who I presented on the screen versus what was inside their head. I think I really had uh, sort of layers uh, of kind of uh, weight on me, if I can say it in those terms were holding me back from really moving forward as quickly as I wanted to. And I think there were a couple of things. One is that uh, being a woman in the technology industry was something, at least at the time when I came into that world, that really wasn't as common. 
common. I think that the second thing that was kind of holding me back a little bit is that I was insanely entrepreneurial. You know, I grew up working in my parents' business. I, I had odd jobs when I was 8, 10, 12 years old. And so I really love this idea of building something and change and trying new things. That just doesn't work within a newsroom environment. You know, many people are used to doing uh, the same thing every day and there's not as much innovation as I think is sometimes needed. And so I knew that environment wasn't for me. And that was kind of a hard lesson to learn. What I always was fascinated about is your background. I mean, Prince Edward Island, which is a you know beautiful community, it's just peace. You actually went to school in your early days in a two-room schoolhouse. So you're, you're right out of Anna Green Gables sort of folklore. <laughs> How did, and you talked about your parents and entrepreneurship. How did that all come together so that you really had a desire to be more and do more? Well, you're right. You know, my, my parents have always been very entrepreneurial and uh, I've fallen in their footsteps in many ways. And, and I always saw them sort of build businesses that some of them were successful, some of them weren't. And they always started again. They always started over. And I really had this built into me at a young age, this idea of perseverance. Uh, at the same time, if you think about growing up on Prince Edward Island as this really gentle island where not a lot happens, and you think about the most famous character who you just mentioned being Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables, uh, the character Anne, is a, a fierce feminist. And, and I have to say that I, I owe some thanks to Lucy Mont Montgomery because she developed this character who was like a, a young girl and then a young woman who I didn't see necessarily in my real life, but I saw it through her books. And what a fantastic gift to be given at a young age to grow up in a place where the most famous person from that place is this really strong and feisty woman. And I always followed uh, in many ways kind of in the, in the footsteps of uh, that character, believing that anything was possible and I didn't have to put up with the status quo. Hello and welcome to The Feed with Amber Mack. And Michael B. for everything new now and next. We have you covered for what's happening in the world of tech and what's trending online. Many of us are spending more and more time at home. And I think we're all thinking about how to make our living space smarter. I know I am. And I love smart home tech. We want to talk about technology for outside the home, for security, and just really keeping the home safe. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My guest today is Amber Mack. On her stage, she's interviewed people like Justin Trudeau, Tony Robbins. She's just engaging, enlightening. I've been a fan of her since I first met her. I continue to be a fan. You know, and you're one of the most sought after speakers. And I wouldn't just say in Canada, you've got an international stage and I've heard you speak. You're, you're extraordinary. Do you think that you're channeling a little bit of what Lucy Maud Montgomery was trying to do with Anna Green Gables, that you're, you're sort of a, a modern day definition of a, that a woman can do anything and there's nothing that should ever get in her way from chasing her dreams? I, I think definitely uh, reading Lucy Maud Montgomery's books have, have led me down this path of believing that anything was possible. And uh, I think the, the beautiful thing about that, especially as I worked my way through the technology industry, is that uh, I never really took no for an answer. And I was always trying to push boundaries and move forward and do different things. And, and you know, in my speaking career, there were many times where I arrived at a speaking event and, you know, they told me to kind of move aside because the 
keynote speaker was coming and I had to remind them that I was the keynote speaker. <laughs> and so I've, I've faced a lot of that, those the biases that kind of exist within the industry, whether it's in tech or business and beyond, but I've never really let that stop me, right? And I think that's the key pushing forward and having that resilience that you're able to push forward. And, and I was taught that at a young age through growing up on PEI, having really strong-willed parents, but also having these characters like Anne of Green Gables that inspired me. How did your parents feel about you not only first going away from home, you went to Dalhousie and Halifax and University, but then moving on to San Francisco? Did they think that that this incredible daughter that we've raised to be resilient and resourceful that we'd never see her again? Is that <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think my parents were a little surprised. As I had mentioned, I, I always wanted to be a journalist and I was lucky enough out of journalism school to land this really great job at CBC Charlottetown. And I was on air immediately because they had a really small team and I was covering stories and I was out in the field. I mean, this is a dream job for someone who's, you know, 23, 24 years old. But after being an on-air reporter for two or three months, I recognized very quickly I could not do that. That was like Groundhog Day. Tony, I know you're an entrepreneur. You understand this, but I'm just not one of those people who can come in and do the same thing over and over again. So my parents were very supportive of me moving to San Francisco and uh, just kind of spreading my wings and getting experience in the tech industry. And they recognized the opportunities that existed there. So, you know, sure, I'm, I, I bet they miss me being a mom. I can understand how they felt. But I think at the same time, they knew that uh, this was something that I had to do. And, and I had to do it because I wanted to be successful. And I had a better chance of getting further ahead in San Francisco than I did here in Canada. And that was a truth at the time. Well, I can tell you as a father, I've got a daughter that lives in San Francisco working for Apple and one in England working for Piper and diversity and inclusion. And uh, part of me goes, why did I ever encourage them? Because I miss them, but I, I'm so proud of them. So I, I, I understand it. I want to talk that uh, when I look at very successful people and their and I call this word in in the most positive way their addiction to being an entrepreneur into business that they they you know Arlene Dickinson said in her book said we go all in. Do you feel like they're sort of we're wired to be so excited and consumed by reinvention and reimagination that it requires us to be very disciplined to step away from the things we love so much to do? I think, you know, one of the greatest things about uh, being an entrepreneur is being able to do something that you really love and that excites you and that uh, really fuels you in terms of uh, growing a business and building a business. So most often when I'm working, it really doesn't feel like work. And I, I know that's such a cliche and people say that uh, all the time, but uh, I do love learning and I've been able to build a career out of learning. That's my, my job is to read books and listen to podcasts and uh, absorb information and then make it simple for people. I mean, what a great opportunity that I have right in front of me. So I think when it comes to being all in, I think being all in can be great if you are still enthused about it and excited about it on a regular basis. If it drains you and destroys relationships, I think all of a sudden you do have a problem. Do you ever feel guilty that what you love to do is something that very few people on this planet feel that way about. A lot of people just sort of 
work to live, but you know, you can hear the passion and excitement and energy and, and sometimes even giggles when you're just so excited about, you know, something that, you, I mean, I love the word demystifying technology, but it's not the technology you're demystifying, it's how, how that person listening can apply that. Well, I think that when it comes to really demystifying technology and understanding the impact that the digital world has on it, us, I think in the early days of my career, I was so excited. I mean, I wrote a book called Power Friending that was basically about you know, how to make friends online and, and grow your business and how we could all get along. I mean, that was a very cheery book in 2010. I would not be writing that book in 2022 because I recognized that all of the things that I care about and I'm passionate about are actually the same things that in some ways are destroying our society. And now there's almost this new phase to the things that wake me up in the middle of the night and, and get me excited or worried. And, and that phase is the digital divide that exists right now. And, and the people who understand this world that we're going into and have the skills to be able to thrive and the people who don't and also the technology leaders who are dragging us into this world in many ways, they also may not be the best leaders for the future of this world. And so I've reached this point in my career where I'm not maybe as uh, innocent or gullible as I might have been early on, my, in, early on in my career when I believed that everything could be changed for the better. And now I'm at this point in terms of kind of raising alarms about what this technology can do to our world. I feel the same way in my stage in my life where I want to be a bit of a social justice warrior and wake the world up to how much debt we're pouring on the feet of kids and where I think we need transparency and such. But it can cost you business sometimes because you're going out as a, a force of positive change, but at the same time, change impacts others. So how do you come to terms with what's inside your heart and really what you want to scream to the world, but at the same time, knowing that you're in the business of presenting positivity to people. Well, this is always a fine line that we walk. And I do try to balance that on a regular basis. I'm passionate about so many things that I don't even share online or in person because I recognize that, you know, to some extent, um, I need to sort of moderate some of the things that I'm sharing and saying. But at the same time, I also recognize that having a strong voice has actually probably been beneficial to uh, many areas areas of my career, especially as a, a public speaker, um, as someone who appears on TV and on radio. And I do think, Tony, I'd be curious uh, what you think about this. I think things have changed a little bit by now in 2022. It used to be that nobody wanted you to share your views about anything because it would interfere with the success of your business. But I actually really think over the past few years, what we're seeing is that people do want to hear what you care about, and it can have a positive impact on your business. And I think lately, I really fall in that camp. I'm interested in your point on this because I agree. I think there's an incredible appetite. 50,000 people view a post on LinkedIn because it strikes an emotional chord, but you still find a way to be magnetic and bring in trolls. You bring in people that have just have so much hate inside them or so much anger. And you wonder, does that impact your brand? Does that impact your ability to go forward and still be invited on that stage because there's, you know, half a dozen or a dozen people that are completely countering the vast majority, but clients I find in many cases want to be in a safe place. They, they want to offend nobody. I think that it's okay to have uncomfortable conversations if they are respectful. And so my feeling has always been that many times if I'm arguing in terms of a certain point of view is that I'm always trying to bring data and facts to that argument, right? And that's really important. And I don't 
ever personally attack anyone or call people names. Now, all of a sudden, if that is something that ends up happening within your comment stream on whatever social media platform it might be, I think you're right. Uh, there is the potential that could tarnish your brand as far as the people who are coming along for the ride in terms of those conversations. At the same time, uh, I'm not an overly sensitive person. And I think I have to give my parents credit for this because we have a very political family. We we all vote different ways. Uh, on the East Coast, people get into political conversations all the time around big family dinners. And so I was never afraid of sort of having uncomfortable conversations. And I really do today feel the same way about the online environment. I, I I am not afraid, afraid of someone not agreeing with me. And I hope more people can get to that point. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. We listen to Chatter That Matters. We come back, Amber Mack and I chat about what it's like to be in a family business when you walk in step with your significant other. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. Women-led enterprises are key to Canada's economy. And RBC is helping to accelerate and grow these businesses, sponsoring the RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards, a celebration of impact and achievement, and CEO, a radically generous community supporting women working on the world's to-do list. Women-led businesses and the economy matters to RBC. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters. My guest today is Amber Mack best-selling author, sought-after speaker, TV personality, role model, visionary. Let's shift a bit to your brand, Amber Mack. My belief is that in this age of noise with so much and so many chasing such a finite amount of time, it's important that almost anyone that wants to put a dent in the universe in any way has a personal brand. How did you go about building yours? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I was lucky in the sense that uh, in the early days, uh, because uh, Amber Mack is such a, a catchy name, I think that helps as well. But I do want to say that that was just a happy accident because I tried to get AmberMacArthur.com and someone else owned it. So I settled for AmberMack.com and I was a bit upset at the time because I couldn't get my full name. And little did I know that uh, over the years, people would just call me Amber Mack, not recognizing that that wasn't my name. And so that helped on the branding front to have something kind of short and catchy and be able to build that. And I think also one of the things that I've always been good at doing is being consistent. That is essential, especially in this digital world where it really matters in terms of your most recent posts, things that you're sharing, what you're creating, what you're doing. I've always been out there and engaging and creating content, whether it's for clients that are paying or content on my own. And I think that's essential in this day and age. And so that kind of keeps you top of mind, Tony. You know, I know professional speakers, for example, over the past couple of years, uh, some of them, my friends who who stopped speaking because, you know, they love the feeling of being on stage and speaking to to an audience and the energy that brings. So they kind of, you know, sat this one out in terms of what was happening during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's going to be harder for those people to get back into the speaking world because they're not top of mind for people booking you for events. And what I try to do, and I know many people in this industry did as well, is just keep going, keep doing virtual events and do the best virtual events that you absolutely can do. So I think being able to pivot and be consistent is so essential in this fast paced world that we're in right now. Your husband, Chris, is involved in the business. And how does that work in terms of when you have a family business and you're both, both livelihood is dependent on sort of, I know you're diversified, you got many different revenue sources, but 
How does that all work? Well, I grew up uh, with entrepreneurial parents, as I mentioned. So my mom and dad always worked together. That is all that I knew. My parents never had jobs. And so they were always going to an office together somewhere. So that's the only thing that I really knew growing up. And so when I met Chris at City TV and he was a cameraman, I was a reporter. It's very cliche. And I think we even interviewed you back in the day. Uh, it was one of those situations where we realized that we could work really well together and we complemented each other's skills. Skills. And so I think we've been fortunate in terms of being partners in the business of Amber Mac Media because we developed a relationship at work before we actually started building a business together. And because we had that foundation, it certainly makes things easier. So I guess in saying that, I wouldn't say for everybody who wants to all of a sudden start a business with their spouse that it's going to work if you don't have that same sort of foundation. And did things change when you had your son? You know, who has influence, who has authority, how decisions are made. Did, did any of that change when you become a mother as well? Our son just turned 13. And uh, when we had him, I think many parents listening will feel the same way is that it put things in perspective in a, in a way I never even thought possible. All of the things that I stayed up at night worrying about were less important, even though I still had that motivation in terms of going forward. But I recognized that really it was these these family values and, and the health of my son and our family that were absolutely critical. And so I think having him actually allowed us to really understand why we were doing what we were doing. And we were doing this because, you know, we're passionate about content and media and the future of what's going on. But really, we were doing this for him. And, you know, again, this allows you to kind of see a path forward, uh, not in a selfish way, but in a way where you're thinking about the next generation. And so for us to have him in our home, it gave us just this renewed kind of energy and hope hope for the future and believers in terms of being able to help to shape that future a little bit as well. Have you been able to instill the same values in your son that your parents did in you, given that your circumstances are so different? You know, you're, you're talking to Justin Trudeau, you're, you're celebrity. Has that changed your ability to have that same value-centric family that you might have easier to have in Prince Edward Island and where you grew up? As a child growing up in PEI with parents who were often struggling in business and there were lots of ups and downs, uh, it allowed me to have a greater appreciation in terms of, you know, everybody had to work really hard to get what they want. And all of a sudden we're in a position now where my son doesn't have to work as hard to get what he wants. And all of a sudden he's in an environment like downtown Toronto, where it certainly is a different place than rural Dunstaffnage, Prince Edward Island, where I grew up. And so every day I do worry about him growing up in a more privileged way where maybe he doesn't necessarily have some of those values that are so important to me and, and to Chris as well. And so all we can do is really to try to stay as grounded as possible. And, and we drag him to Prince Edward Island every summer to hang out in the country and uh, just understand a little bit about how people live differently than maybe what he's seeing here in downtown Toronto. You're a role model. You're not just a role model to a woman forging a path. You're a role model to the next generation. What are you going to do with that platform? What's next for Amber Mac in terms of knowing that you have such a positive impact on an individual? I really don't know if you ask me what's going to happen over the next five to 10 years in terms of what exactly it is that I want to be doing or the places that I want to be able to bring the business. I will say that we have come to a point in the business where it, it is uh, running well. We have a small team. Everybody's happy. We're highly profitable. So this is kind of a, an interesting point, I think, in your career. And I, I'm sure you've uh, hit this as well, Tony, where 
where you have to start to ask some of those questions. What do you want to do with your time, your resources and your energy? And for me right now, I I just don't know uh, exactly what the future looks like, which is kind of ironic in the sense that I talk about that on a daily basis. I'm I'm good at, at imagining what the future looks like in a broad sense, but not necessarily for me personally. And so I'm just trying to push forward and um, be more involved in conversations that have a bigger impact, transitioning from just doing consumer technology into a world where I'm talking more about the future of business and the future of equity and the future of even politics in in some uh, senses as well. So I think it's about sort of evolving um, from a place where I began to be able to have conversations that have a longer lasting impact. I read an article where you identified what is key to being on the positive side of disruption. Maybe you're somebody that can knit the world back together again, that this great divide that's happening, there there might be some positive forces. But you talk about, and here's the four of them, and I want you to explain each one. First one is, if you want to be part of the positive side of disruption, use data like Netflix. What does that mean? Well, I probably talked about it in the time that I wrote that in terms of sort of personalization and creating technology that actually enhances people's lives in a, in a positive way. You know, one of the things that I struggle with right now is looking at some of the big tech companies in the social media space and seeing how they are using algorithms in a way that is is harmful for us versus algorithms that can help us in the long run. So I think it's about looking to those technology leaders who have created technology that has made our lives, you know, happier, uh, more comfortable and better. And then understanding there are some tech leaders who are taking us down a much darker path. Is that what motivated you to write the book, Outsmarting Your Kids Online? When I wrote that book in terms of talking to parents about uh, this world that was definitely getting a little bit more complex in terms of protecting our kids from the internet, I have to say that I was still optimistic that uh, we could leverage the power of technology in a positive way for our children. Uh, But that was in the days that we didn't know as much about what some of these big tech players were doing and how the algorithms were uh, essentially turning teenagers into algorithmic opportunities for them to be able to feed them content and basically change potentially the outcome of even these kids' lives. So that has worried me more over the past few years. And I've always had that in the back of my head in terms of understanding the impact of this technology on the next generation. And I worry, Tony, honestly, every minute of the day about the future that we're going into. And I worry not only about the leadership that we have in place in the technology industry, but even political and business leaders not necessarily having a great grasp on the changes we're we're about to face and the changes that are on our doorstep. What are the ones that worry you the most? I am most worried about uh, the proliferation of online hate that um, is basically sort of simmering. It was once under the surface. And now what's happening is that it's actually materializing into real world violence. And I I think what we're seeing right now with the internet is that all of a sudden, these algorithms and individuals have to take some blame as well, are, are, are really hating on each other in a way that we've never really seen in history. And so what happens when that takes place? Well, all of a sudden, we have things such as hate-filled content on social media that trickles into the real world, into real-world violence. 
violence, sometimes shooting, sometimes stalking, and the list goes on and on. And we even then sometimes have politicians who take advantage of these groups that are growing in size and then decide that they want to tap into those people's fears and the hate that those people feel as well. This is putting us in a position in 2022 where I think nobody is equipped to deal with the fallout of what's about to take place. How do you continually adapt to new ways of working and new occupations? I think about this one probably the most. How can you adapt to the fact that your skill set has to be fluid enough that you're able to change along with the change that is coming so fast and furiously on our doorstep? You have to find some beauty in this idea of discomfort. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My guest today is Amber Mack, thought leader, television personality, keynote speaker extraordinaire. Amber, mental health to me is something that is becoming so much of our conversation society because we're living in such uncertain and insecure times. And as I was reading about you, one of the things you're very proud about is that you've been sober since you were 20. What what led you to making that decision? And what made you share that with the world? Well, you know, I uh, definitely grew up uh, in an environment and at a time where I think drinking, especially binge drinking, was totally acceptable and everybody did it. So between the time I was 15 years old to my early 20s, I was also one of those kids and young adults who definitely overindulged. And uh, it was really a struggle for me in terms of of imagining my life without that as part of my life. And and alcohol had always been sort of central in terms of who I was and the the social circles uh, that uh, I brought along with me. I had an opportunity in my early 20s to answer a dare from someone really, really close to me who said, I bet you can't stop drinking for a month. I quit drinking and I started writing in a diary on a daily basis. And then I started going to the gym and I started taking all of this energy that I was using to go out and party and hang out and drink and using it in different ways. And by the end of the month, I mean, I just felt fantastic. I felt like I could do anything and my world had totally changed. I had kind of lost some friends who didn't like that I was no longer the party girl they used to hang out with. But I saw an opportunity in the future for me to live this sober lifestyle. And I was very ashamed of that for many, many years. But now it's been more than 20 years. And I just feel as though it's time to talk about that in an open way. I think we always glamorize alcohol. I've had people in my family who's, who've lost their lives to alcohol. I just want to be able to be one of those people that people can see out there. And sobriety has really, in many ways, been kind of a superpower for me to be able to have this clear mind and sense of what I want to do in life and uh, how I want to be able to move forward. So Amber, I want to talk that what is key to being on the positive side of disruption? Four of them. And I want you to explain each one. First one is use data like Netflix. A second one you talked about, which I love, was solve problems like Andy. Yeah, you know, I, I love businesses that solve simple problems. They basically saw a problem out there, which is that people don't buy new mattresses because it's very time consuming and logistically it's difficult to get mattresses into your home and the list goes on and on. So they figured out how to put a mattress in a box and ship it to you within a couple of days. I mean, this is just a great business and I love those businesses that are really meeting a need that exists. And I think there are still opportunities that exist out there 
in terms of needs that individuals have. So I'm excited to see the businesses that are created to be able to fill those gaps. The third one is build community like Rent the Runway. Yeah. So if people aren't familiar with Rent the Runway or any of these uh, online uh, stores that allow you to rent clothes, uh, I think one of the things that's interesting about them is that they can often build these really great communities around them. Uh, But also I'm excited, especially when it comes to the fashion industry and this idea that more and more people are thinking about upcycling their clothing or, uh, you know, renting clothing and reusing clothing. So I think the climate piece of some of these businesses is really interesting when we think about the future. And it's amazing how they're able to also bring these great communities together as well. And my final one, which I think is really the future of capitalism, it's not lip service, not just chasing profit, but a higher purpose. You talk about do good like Patagonia. This is a company that believes in leaving the planet in a better place than they found it. And they've done this over and over again, you know, convincing people to reuse their clothing, repair their clothing, donating money to help the environment. The list goes on and on and on. They just do things differently and they don't have sort of a blueprint in terms of what success looks like in their industry. They are the blueprint. They're the ones who have figured out how to create not just this great brand, but also a community and a community that gives back in terms of making the planet a healthier place place. Amber, I always end my podcast with the three things that I've learned. And the first is just your honesty that you don't try to hide behind some persona. I mean, talking about the fact, the reasons why you've been sober since your early 20s, I think it's just refreshing. I think that honesty and transparency is something we need. The second is that you are becoming a social justice warrior. Demystifying technology also means to demystify the bad side of technology, the abuse of our data, the abuse of algorithms. And the final thing is just that you're constantly reinventing yourself, all based on this essence of what matters most. I want to demystify. I want to help people understand and comprehend part of getting them to where they want to go. So for all of those three and so much more, Amber Mack, thank you for joining me on Chatter That Matters. Thank you. And you're such a you're such a good interviewer. I feel like you see things in a in a way that some interviewers don't see things. So you see things not as sort of a, a set of questions, but you you see things more as as understanding who this person is, what motivates them, and all of those things. And that's like a different level that I think most interviewers don't get to. So as much as it might be uncomfortable for me, I, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, you do such a great job. Joining me on Chatter That Matters for the first time, and I believe it's going to be many more to follow, Alicia Aquino. She's the Senior Director of Business Integration. Alicia, I hear you're one of the most passionate people at RBC when it talks about supporting women entrepreneurs. Yeah, I love talking about the importance of women entrepreneurs and why it's important for RBC. Women entrepreneurs, they are innovators. They are game changers. They are community champions, and I love helping to amplify their successes, their journeys, their resilience. Why is it taking us so long as a society to understand that there's so much potential if we could just find a way to unleash some of these dreams? There is more work to do in terms of understanding some of the barriers that women entrepreneurs uh, experience. 
whether it's access to capital, whether it's amplifying some of the new innovations or industries that women entrepreneurs are getting involved in. But I think one of the biggest opportunities that we have from a community standpoint, as well as from an organizational standpoint, is to understand how we can help elevate and how we can help propel their progress. It is not just about funding. It is about how can we facilitate connections with like peers, with ecosystems? How can we build that community connection? You sponsor a number of different initiatives. One of them is sort of is an award for Canadian entrepreneurs. Tell me a little bit about that show and what does it take to win? We've sponsored the Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards. When you think about the different categories of the awards and you think about the diversity of whether it's social impact, whether it's looking at, um, you know, historic entrepreneurship in their industry, I think it's so important not only to recognize the accomplishments and also recognizing those that are ones to watch, those that are up and coming. It's so important to not only recognize their accomplishments, but to help amplify their journeys and stories with other women entrepreneurs. It helps generate inspiration. It helps generate energy. I love attending those awards. I'm inspired by their stories. I'm inspired by the impact that they have on their community. And the, I'd say that cascading effect of inspiration, energy, starts feeding into future generations and inspires those ones to watch to say, I can do this too. And I'd say it's so important for RBC to not only recognize that, but to continue to feed that future generation of entrepreneurs who will be inspired by those that are recognized. Whether you're a future entrepreneur or whether you're a banker just like me, those are inspirational stories to keep going, to learn from their lessons of resilience and to keep pursuing that North Star. Elisa Aquino, you are so passionate. Thanks for joining us in Chatter That Matters. Thank you, Tony. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.